You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. All right, this is, um, this is awesome. Uh, I'm at Disneyland right now. Uh, this is great. Um, so uh, I got a picture I want to show you. Uh, I'm Mark. This is Justin. Um, and uh, this is just very surreal for me, I have to tell you that. Um, uh, let me show you the picture first. Uh, here's a picture that Justin made. Um, you can't see it very well, but there's the four of us. That's Alexis is the third one. And then Justin's there on the end. And, of course, he drew in his fish at the time. Spiker is up at the top, and then Ruby's on the bottom. And then there's this weird tree. I'm not sure if that's a relative or what's going on there, but uh, this is really cool. I love looking at Justin's old stuff and Alexis's old stuff because there's family all over it, and that's the way it should be. You know, being able to... Being able to be up here with my son, it's just amazing. It's just mind-blowing. 38 years ago, on Father's Day, I came to church at a Church of Christ. I was a summer school student at Miami University in Ohio, and I had to go to summer school because I'd gotten a failing grade in organic chemistry. And I went to school, yeah, organic. Uh, I went to school, I went to Miami of Ohio thinking I'm going to be a doctor and I'm going to win a gold medal in the 800 meters. I left Miami of Ohio wanting to be a teacher and not being able to run the 100 meters in the Olympics. Got a knee injury. But what happened during that summer on Father's Day changed my life. It changed my life because what happened was I had uh, been searching for God. I had grown up religious. I would grown up in a church, and my, my parents took me consistently but it's kind of like that. Those of you know that come from a church background, you kind of, you're, you're doing church, but you're not really it. Like your heart's not there. You've prayed a lot for Jesus to come into your heart, but it's not translating into your life. I had never really understood this concept of repentance, like dealing with my sin. And it wasn't until a campus minister knocked on my summer dorm door looking for another guy that he invited me to a soul talk. Soul talks were by these Bible discussion groups that they had on campus. So I went, and it changed my life. Uh, I got a hold of a Bible that I could read. It wasn't King James Version, but it was NIV. I could read it, and I was just amazed. And I remember this campus minister asked me to go to his church. I was usually going to another church, the one that I promised my mom that I would go to, the one we grew up in. But I thought, I'll, I'll, go, to, I'll go to his church and check it out. And it was nothing like my old church. It wasn't fancy. It wasn't nice. It was kind of like a barn. And it was not impressive. But what I saw there and experienced there changed my life. Because I saw people living out the Christian life. And three days later, I got baptized. And it changed my life. And you, you know what happens is that I had to... I needed to talk to my parents. So I called my dad. I told him what I was, I called him on Father's Day because I was really starting to get in touch with how grateful, how ungrateful I was. 
And so I thought I need to call my dad and tell him I'm really grateful. So I called him. We just didn't do that. We just didn't talk a whole lot about our feelings and our family. So I'm on the phone with dad. He doesn't talk much. He's an engineer. He's kind of, no, no knock on engineers. I love engineers. Yeah, engineers. But he just didn't talk much, and we just didn't have that kind of dad-son, let's go out and throw the baseball relationship. He cared for me, and he was a great provider. Just, you know. So I called him, and I remember the phone conversation we had. Um, I just said, Dad, I'm, I'm going to go to another church, but I want to tell you that um, I became, I'm, I'm going to become a Christian. And he's like, well, you're already one. And I'm like, well, yeah, I know, but this is going to be for real. Like, this is my decision. I appreciate all that you've done for me. All the times you took me to church and times we prayed right before we went to bed and all this stuff, and you've been a great dad. And I think he was a little confused. And then I told him I loved him, and then it was like this awkwardness, like I normally didn't tell my dad I loved him. And then three days later, I get baptized. And then the first time that I saw him, when I went home for July 4th break, I just walked in the house, saw him, and I thought, I'm going to blow him away. I just went up and gave him a hug, which we never did in our family. Uh, my mom was all huggy, but not dad. So I gave dad a hug and just thought, wow, this is really cool. And what I started to remember was this ripple effect. Now, at the time, 38 years ago, I had no idea that I was going to have him or I was going to be married to her or have another daughter named Alexis. No idea. But I did know my family history. I know that there had been some Christian-believing people in my family in the past, and just there was a preacher in my family, and going way back. And we have to be so grateful for our heritage. If you've got a Christian background, there were some dads in your life that did things right. And now, when I'm 18 years old, I want to be a future dad that does things right. Now, remember, I, was, I went originally to Miami University because they were the one school after I got my first knee injury that was going to give me a retroactive scholarship in track. So I had to go and prove myself that freshman year. So I tried to do that. I tried to prove myself, and then I got another knee injury, and it kind of knocked out my career running. But I remember reading this passage that I'd never read before in 1 Corinthians where Paul talks about in chapter 9, Verse 24, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And that passage meant so much to me about running my Christian life. I want to talk to the dads about being a good dad, a good, good father. Guys, listen, we can, we can do our very best, and we come in with our inherent weaknesses, and the stuff I think was already mentioned about our dads, we bring that all in. But I want to encourage you, to a parent in such a way as to get the prize. I want to encourage you to go into strict training. I want to encourage you to, to run and, and to care about things that really matter, the things that really matter. My son's spirituality is the thing that really matters to me. I wanted him to be a baseball player. I wanted him to be a, a, an athletic star. And there was a point where it was like, uh, that's not going to happen. He's very talented and gifted, but, like, that's not going to happen. 
So, brothers, I want you to parent not like a man running aimlessly. I want you to parent to win. I want you to have that mentality. And I want you to give your whole entire heart to it. I also want to talk to the men in here who don't have children. This guy needs you so much. He needs you as uncles. He needs you as brothers, as examples. Okay? Our young men need other men in their lives, not just me. So the race that I'm running, it's, it's, a, it's a relay race. I pass the baton to others, and that, that baton goes to others. I want men, godly men, to influence my son because I've done what I can, and I know that I'm going to go as long as I can, and I'm so great we've got this great relationship. We could spend the summer together. It's amazing. It's amazing. But, brothers, in all that we do, run to win. I'm going to sit down right now and enjoy Father's Day as my son preaches God's word. Thank you. Amen. You know, it really is uh, just a privilege getting to, to speak on Father's Day. You know, I, I love my dad a lot. We've really built just a great friendship over the years. I'm really grateful for just the memories we have and, and, and good times. And, you know, my dad really embodies that scripture in, in Ephesians 6 that says, you know, fathers, do not exasperate your children. You know, he, he's a patient man. He's a quiet man. He's humble. Sometimes I wish it also said mothers don't exasperate your children because we have more of an issue of that in our house. But just kidding. I love you, Mom. <laughs> but <laughs> no, I know you guys, you guys have him as your elder here, and so you also get to experience that, that patience and, and that grace and that love, uh, which is truly amazing. I know a lot of you guys have experienced that. You know, for, uh, for Father's Day, we're going to be talking about uh, this passage in John chapter 6. And we've been looking at the seven signs from the book of John. And it's really been just, just a great experience getting to work through the book of John and seeing the miraculous things that Jesus did. So go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 6, verse 16. The Bible reads, When evening came... His disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not joined them yet. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. And they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. You know, this miracle of Jesus walking on the water is an amazing miracle. You know, we're all pretty familiar with this story and the other tellings and the other Gospels. You know, last week, Steve brought me up on stage and I laid down for a great demonstration. So I was thinking about bringing a kiddie pool up and having Steve kind of splash around in it in a scuba mask <laughs> to kind of get him back. But hopefully we'll see Scuba Steve a different time. You'll have to wait for that. But you know, the, the first four miracles that, that Jesus performed, they were kind of just normal tasks, but in miraculous ways. You know, he turned water into wine. Many people had made wine before, 
The, the miracle wasn't the water turning to wine, it's that he did it so quickly. And he made some wine that was apparently really good. You know, he went out and, and he healed two people. And doctors existed, and doctors exist today, and we see medical miracles, but Jesus did it in a way that no one had ever seen before. At a speed. He didn't use tools. He used his word, his authority. You know, he went and he fed 5,000 people. Todd talked about that last week. You know, I'm sure they had big banquets at the time. I'm sure they were capable of, of, of feeding large crowds. But Jesus did it with two fish and five loaves of bread. Kind of ordinary scenarios, but in an extraordinary way. But then Jesus does something here that no one could have ever expected. No one had seen anything like this before. He walked on water. You know, my first point is we've got to let him walk. You know, as I read this story, and I've read it a lot growing up, I kind of always pictured, you know, the disciples leaving the boat, maybe, maybe going out like five minutes, getting like 30 yards off, and then Jesus kind of walks out and, and appears. But you read this, and it says they were three to four miles off the shore. I mean, Jesus ran a 5K on the lake. Most people can barely do that on land. And he did it in the middle of a storm. It's amazing. I mean, that's like a 45 to a minute to an hour walk. Imagine what he was thinking. Imagine the anticipation of, ooh, I'm going to spook him. I'm going to get him this time. I've been healing people and doing stuff, but man, I'm going to really, I'm going to get him with this one. You know, when he reaches his disciples, he says, it is I. And what he says there is actually far more amazing than the miracle he did by walking on the water. Problem is, the English translation, the NIV, it's not great. You know, if you read the Greek, the Greek is Ime ego. It is I. And if you look in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, it's the same two words in Exodus 3 when God says, I am. Ime ego. You know, when Jesus walked up to his disciples, he literally said, I am. You know, the, the, the claims that Jesus made in the book of John, they increase in their radical nature over time. In John 3, he tells Nicodemus that he is the son of man. Then in John 4, he, he interacts with this woman at the well, and he says that he is the Messiah. Then you get to John 5, and he tells the Jewish leaders that he is God's son. And then we get to John 6. And after Jesus walks on the water, he tells his disciples, I am. And the scene mimics the story in Exodus 3 of Moses and the burning bush. Go ahead and turn with me real quick to Exodus 3. Okay, most of us have read this story before, but it's really cool how it connects. Exodus 3, verse 1. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw the bush was on fire, but it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. 
why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses! And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the father, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And then we know what happens at the end of the story. Moses says, who should I tell the people you are? Who should I say sent me? And God says, I am who I am. Tell them, I am sent you. This is an amazing story. You know, God speaks to Moses from this burning bush. It's this bush that's on fire and doesn't burn up. You know, we're familiar with fires here in California, amen? We know what happens when the, when the fires come in. They burn. And you see ashes. And you can drive through and see the aftermath. You know, in, this, in this story, God is showing that he has absolute power over all of the earthly elements. You know, if a bush catches on fire, what's supposed to happen? It's supposed to burn up. That is, unless God is inside of that bush. You know, if a person jumps into a lake, what is supposed to happen? They're supposed to sink. That is, unless God is inside of that person. You see, when Jesus walked out onto that lake, it was more than just a miracle. He was showing that he has absolute power over the earthly elements. He is not bound by the elements. He is not bound by the laws of physics. Why? Because he's God. And he tells them, I am. He is all-powerful. He is holy. You know, Jesus proves to his disciples that he's not just a wise teacher. He's not just a really good doctor. He didn't just run an amazing catering company. You know, know, he is someone who can perform miraculous tasks. He is God. Just as God reveals himself to Moses in the fury of the fire, Jesus reveals himself to his disciples in the fury of the water. And the disciples have the same reaction that Moses had. They're terrified. They're awestruck. But there's two differences in the story. Notice in this. Moses approaches the bush. And what does God say to him? He says, Moses, step back! Do you realize who you are approaching? Take off your shoes. This is holy ground. I am an absolutely powerful and holy being. You can't be near me. You've got to step back. God tells Moses to take caution. He tells him to be afraid. Why? Because he is the most absolutely powerful and holy being. But it's so different than Jesus in John 6. Jesus approaches his disciples. Jesus reveals himself and then tells them not to be afraid. You know, God says to Moses, I am God. I am powerful. I am holy. And because of that fact, you should be terrified. Jesus says, I am God. I am powerful. I am holy. And because of that fact, 
you don't have to be afraid. You know, we've got to let Jesus walk. We've got to let him reveal himself in our lives. You know, the most powerful being in the universe wants to just walk up into your life. Wants to just get to know you. That's amazing. But it's also terrifying. You know, it leads us into our second point. We've got to let him in. You know, why can Jesus be so terrifying to people? And why were the disciples so afraid? You know, what's interesting is it says there's this storm. There's these wind and these waves, but they weren't afraid of the storm. They were used to storms. But they were afraid of Jesus. He is what scared them. So we have to ask ourselves, why? Why were they so afraid of Jesus? And why are people today so afraid to let Jesus in? So to answer this question, we've got to know a few things about storms. Does anyone watch the Weather Channel? Come on now. That's what I'm talking about. So what we know about storms is storms happen. You know, big storms. Hurricanes, typhoons, tornadoes. None of the stuff we have here in Southern California. But if you grew up in the Midwest like my dad is, they, they got those things. They got tornadoes. They got crazy weather. All of the, the, those massive, powerful, crazy storms, they're caused by opposites colliding. Warm, moist air mixes with cool, dry air. Chaos. High-pressure system mixes with low-pressure system. Chaos. You know, when things that are opposite in their nature come together, come into contact, it causes chaos. And it's why we're seeing so much extreme weather in this country. Why? Because we're seeing record highs. We're also seeing record lows. It's like 115 downtown L.A., and it's like negative 60 wind chill in, in Chicago. And everyone's tripping, and the weather's tripping. Because you have far extremes that come together and cause chaos. You know, look at our political climate right now. Far left extreme, far right extreme. What happens when you put all those people in the same room? It's chaos. And we're seeing that. We're seeing extreme. We've got to be more extreme, more extreme, more extreme. Chaos. And we've lost the art of moderation. Which is funny, because they always say, you know, opposites attract, right? If you want to be in a relationship with someone, you should be with someone who's completely opposite of you. Well, opposites also cause tornadoes and hurricanes and typhoons, so be careful with who you actually choose. It might explain some of the relational issues we got. You know, they were terrified because you had polar opposites coming in contact with one another. You had Moses, who was a man, and very well the fact that he was a man walking up to the most holy, perfect, supreme, powerful being in the universe. Opposites. And the same thing with the disciples. And they were well aware of the fact that they were ordinary men in the presence of a holy being. And it caused a storm inside their heart that was much scarier than the storm on the water. The storm inside them scared them so much more than the wind and the waves. You know, the same thing happens today. And usually there's two groups of people that that exist in the world, right? There's those who have made Jesus Lord. There's those who are living as Jesus as their Lord. And there's those who don't have Jesus as their Lord. That's it. 
There's people who have Jesus as their Lord, and there's people that don't have Jesus in their Lord. Both people will face storms. Whoever you are, you're going to face a storm. Let's start with those who haven't made Jesus the Lord of their life yet. Maybe that's where some of you guys are at at this spot. Maybe you're new to, to coming to church, new to reading the Bible. Maybe you grew up and you never made that decision. It's tough studying the Bible. You know, for those of us who haven't made that decision, who made Jesus Lord, you remember kind of studying the Bible and counting the costs and thinking through, man, if I'm really going to make Jesus my Lord, I've got to give up a few things. I've been living my life my way for so long, and now I've got to change? And I've got, got to deal with my sin? And I've got to reconcile hurt relationships? I mean, that is terrifying. And, you know, if you're not, if Jesus is not your Lord, if you're not reconciled to God, that means you've been living your whole life as a slave to sin. And if you've been living your life just indulging in sin, the idea, just the thought of Jesus coming into your life is going to cause a storm in your heart. And that's why it's so hard to actually really commit and become a Christian. Because we feel that storm. And we've all felt that. And it's intense. Because we are sinful people. And Jesus is a perfect and holy deity. And we are polar opposites. And what happens when opposites come together? Chaos. A storm. I mean, I, I am so amazed by the disciples in this room and people who have been disciples for decades. I mean, some of the stuff you guys decided to give up, some of the stuff you guys decided to commit yourself to, some of the convictions you have, do you guys realize how radical that is? I mean, it is radical. Us younger generation hasn't learned that yet. We like taking the easy way out. We like reading textbooks on Chegg, not actually reading the books itself. We've got to relearn how to be radical, how to be a student of the Bible. I commend you who have chosen to make this your life. But I also commend you who, are, who has not made Jesus Lord yet, but you're trying. Maybe the road's been long. Maybe that storm inside your heart. Every time you, you get a little bit closer and you just want to back up. And you get a, you get a little bit closer and then, no, no, not right now. And you finally get so close, but uh, I just can't. I can't give it up. I can't cut that out. I need that. You know, for those who have made Jesus Lord of their life, we also have a storm raging inside of us. Because, you know, when you're baptized into Christ, what happens? You get the Holy Spirit. So God puts a small piece of himself inside of you. It's kind of crazy. So what that means is that you now have God living inside of you. But you've also got something else that doesn't just go away when you're baptized. It's your flesh. It's your sinful nature. Now there's this war inside of you constantly between the flesh and the spirit. And that war can get exhausting. You know, Paul understood this in Galatians 5 when he talks about that the spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh. He says they're in absolute conflict with one another. And it causes a storm. You know, I've felt this in my life. 
in my spirit that God has given me, I want to be generous. I want to give. You know, we see Fadi comes up here and gives a great uh, communion message for our special missions. In my spirit, I'm fired up. I'm like, yeah, I'll give all my money to the Middle East. Just take it all. I'll, I'll go to Central America. Let's do it. This is awesome. I'm fired up. My spirit feels that. But then do I really put the check in the bowl? Because then I walk out and in my sinful nature, I say, uh, no, it's okay. Other people will handle it. I don't really need to be generous. I'm a college student. I'm in debt. It doesn't really even, like, I don't even have money to give. I'm in debt. Any money I give is just the money I'm getting from the government. And my sinful nature starts to kick in. And it's completely against what my spirit desires. No, my sexual purity. In my spirit, the spirit God has given me, I desire to be pure. I desire to not feel guilt. I desire to be able to walk around not bound, not enslaved to sexual sin. And that feels amazing. But then I've also got this flesh. That flesh desires something completely opposite. That flesh desired unrequited, unrestricted, just sexual experience. That flesh desires lust. That flesh desires pornography. I mean, it's a battle inside when you feel that. You guys felt that before? When your spirit desires one thing and your flesh desires something completely contrary? You know, I feel this in my unity. Naturally, I'm like, yeah, well, I want to be united to everyone. I want to be good with everyone. We're all good. The church is good. The family's good. I love being good. This is awesome. Man, I struggle with slander. I struggle with gossip. I struggle with talking bad about people to lift myself up. You know, my spirit desires that unity. My flesh desires disunity. You know what happens when those two things meet? Chaos. That's what happens when opposites collide. And this is why many Christians are walking around with a storm inside their heart. This is why many Christians are not enjoying life. Because it's a storm of guilt and despair. And the feeling of, I'm never going to be enough. I can never win this battle. This storm will never go away. And it's why many people will become Christians, but they won't stay Christians. They get tired of the storm. They get worn out by opposites colliding. That's why we have so many negative statistics about Christianity. Statistics about the lack of generosity among Christians. Statistics about the amount of Christians that are addicted to pornography. Statistics about churches that are divided and end up splitting. And it happens because storms are intense. And they weigh on us. And they're terrifying. I mean, just last week, I don't know if you guys heard about Eddie and Joanna Blandon. I mean, they were converted here in the West and they moved to Texas. And a storm came and their house got struck by lightning. And it burned and they lost everything. I mean, Eddie studied the Bible with me. I have a connection with them. And a storm came in and they had a picture on their GoFundMe of just this hole in the middle of their house. Because a storm came through and destroyed it. You know, storms are powerful. Storms are terrifying. And a lot of us just get exhausted from dealing with the storm inside our heart. So what do we do? We remove the opposite that's easier to remove. Say, Jesus, I'm tired of this storm. I'm tired of you causing chaos in my heart. I'm tired of feeling like I can't be enough. 
tired of feeling this, this depression that I will never live up. You know, imagine the storm that Jesus felt as he hung on the cross. 100% human, 100% God. Polar opposites. He was the most perfect and pure being that ever walked on the earth. Yet he took the sins of the entire world. I mean, can you even begin to imagine the storm that that caused in his heart? He lived his entire life perfect and pure. And then he took on all the evil that has ever been done and that will ever be done. All the murder and slander, immorality, abuse, adultery, all of the rape, every broken promise, every prideful thought, any sin that has ever been done and will ever be done was placed on him. The perfect God. And he took it all. And you know, this caused the storm that was too powerful to handle. So he died. And he sunk. You know, that storm was too intense. He couldn't handle it. He couldn't walk through it. And he sunk. And he did this so that we no longer have to be wrecked by the storm inside of us. He sunk so we have the ability to walk on water. To deal with the storms in our heart. Jesus gave us the ability to do the impossible. To be reconciled to a God as absolutely sinful people. You know, his power, his might, his holiness, all the things that make him God, all the things that should scare us, he says these things should comfort us. We've got to let him in our boat. Many of us for so long have just kept Jesus at a distance. And many of us are so afraid to just let him into our light. We're afraid of the storm that will cause in our heart. Jesus gives us the power to do the impossible. He gives us the power to walk through the storm. He doesn't take the storm away. He lets us walk through it. And we know he could have snapped his fingers and the storm would have stopped. You can read other passages about that. He chose to walk three and a half miles through that storm to show that we can do the same. Because he died and he sunk. But then guess what? He also did the impossible because he rose. And now we can deal with our sin. And this leads into my third and final point. We've got to let him shine. You know, I took this picture four years ago. It's probably the best picture I've ever taken. Shot on iPhone 5. Um, I'm serious. It's a great picture. I don't know. Uh, this was down in San Diego. This is at Coronado. If you guys have been here, it's a beautiful beach. And, you know, I really love, I love sunsets. I love looking at sunsets. I love taking pictures of sunsets. As you know, I'm not an athlete, so I've got to do sensitive stuff, like taking pictures of sunsets. I can cook my dad in foosball, in case anyone was wondering, if it, goes, if it means anything. But don't you just love sunsets? I mean, they're amazing. You look at them, and it's absolute beauty. You know, for a sunset, you need three things. The sun, 
You need water. You need something to reflect off of. And you need clouds. And you know when you get the best sunsets? After a storm. Now, it had been raining all weekend down in San Diego on our family vacation. And the last day there, I took this picture. And it's absolutely beautiful. The birds are flying. The people are standing there. You know, Jesus, what he does is he takes our storm and he removes it from us. And after all the water has dumped, all the darkness has dumped, he takes it and he moves it out of our life. He moves it. And then you know what he does? He illuminates it. He shines a light on it. And then we get to see, just as that storm was raging inside of us, it's now a beautiful picture. It's now a beautiful sunset. You know when the sunset is at its peak? Right as the sun sinks into the ocean. You know, the next time you're looking at a sunset, the next time you're admiring it, remember how Jesus sunk into the ocean to illuminate your storms. He sunk, he died for you. To give us the power to walk through those storms. Because guess what, guys? There's grace! What happens when Jesus hops in the boat? It says they immediately arrive at the shore. What happens when we let God into our life? We immediately arrive at the shore. We're reconciled. We don't have to do all this good stuff. We don't have to play catch-up our whole life. When we let Jesus in, we arrive, and we're going to heaven. We forget that. It's amazing. There's nothing to be afraid of. You know, if you haven't reconciled with God, if you haven't made Jesus your Lord, I beg of you, Walk through the storm. We're here to walk with you. Jesus is here to walk with you. You are approaching the most holy and powerful being ever. But guess what? That same being says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You know, Jesus wants to turn the storms into our life into beautiful sunsets. Why? Because he sunk. And he died for us. I love you guys. Thank you. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.